Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on Thursday, December 16th, 2021. Uh, in fact, this is the last news and views of 2021. Uh, I'm taking the holidays off, so this will be the last news and views. And accordingly, I've made it a double header because I'm going to be talking about two articles. Uh, before we get to that, don't forget, everybody that's members of the website, tomorrow is our last vid chat of 2021. That will be at 6.30 U.S. Central Time. Uh, please get your questions, comments in before 10 o'clock today. I'm going to be absolutely ruthless this time in enforcing the deadline. Uh, get them in before 10 o'clock or they will be archived uh, for next year's uh, first vid chat. Also, I'm not going to do any editing. If you cannot compose um, reasonable English diction, <laughs> I'm just simply not going to read it. Uh, I spent 45 minutes last week uh, editing one submission that was just really bad <laughs> in terms of uh, the grammar and so on. I, I was guessing, essentially, to try and figure out what was going on. But anyway, get your comments, submissions in before 10 o'clock. Um, Central Time tonight in order for the vid chat to proceed tomorrow. Now, there is a chance that uh, it's going to be rainy and stormy here tomorrow. If by any chance I do have to reschedule the vid chat, I will put up a notice uh, on the website. Um, if for some reason the time rolls around and there's no notice but I don't show up uh, it may be because storms have created a power outage. So be aware, the weather has been kind of dicey the last couple of days. Anyway, let's get right to it. I've got two articles today. And I have to tell you, one, I'll be right up front. The second article is about the Kennedy assassination, all right? But let's talk about Vladimir Putin and Narendra Modi first. <laughs> because... They may well be the backdrop to the story. I don't know. I'm just kind of flabbergasted, but let's get into it. Uh, this is an article by Simon Watkins titled, Putin's Coup in India Will Shock the U.S. And I'm going to read essentially the first four paragraphs of this article because it's a really good article, but it's the fourth paragraph and the part of the fourth paragraph that I'll be reading that, to me, indicate what the game is, all right? Now, to give you background, very early on when Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister of Japan, was doing all of those diplomatic outreach and summit meetings with Mr. Putin, I, I speculated that what we were watching was the emergence of a quadruple entente, all right? And I used the term entente very advisedly because it was an attempt to recall the triple entente of the Allied powers prior to the outbreak of World War I. In other words, it is not a formal alliance, but it is a, a kind of common agreement uh, that Russia, uh, France, and the United Kingdom had prior to the outbreak of World War I that the problem was Germany. <laughs> okay? And um, I, I kind of was a little bit out of sync with the rest of geopolitical thinking because at the same time I was talking about triple entente, 
many people in think tanks were talking about the quad. Now, by the quad, they meant primarily Russia, China, pardon me, um, Japan, Australia, the United States, and India. Okay, that's the quad. And it was an anti-Chinese alliance. By quadruple entente, I was saying, no, Russia's the hidden factor here. And it's not Australia that's the fourth big member. It's Russia. So with that in mind, listen to Putin's coup in India will shock the U.S. by Simon Watkins. Quote, Russia last week announced a major new energy cooperation deal with India that threatens the very core of the U.S. fight-back strategy against Beijing and Moscow's expansionism in the Middle East and beyond. The main hydrocarbons deal will be for Russia, via oil giant Rosneft, to supply almost 15 million barrels of crude to Indian oil by the end of 2022. Given the massive geopolitical ramifications of any sizable oil deal, it was entirely legitimate for Igor Sechin, Rosneft chief executive officer and a close friend of Russian President Vladimir Putin, to say of the deal that, quote, the signing of a new oil supply contract confirms the strategic nature of the long-term partnership between Rosneft and Indian oil, unquote. The deal takes on even more significance as it was just one part of 28 investment deals between Russia and India signed during the very recent visit of Putin himself to Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. These covered a broad range of subjects, including not just oil, gas, and petrochemicals, steel, and shipbuilding, <laughs> but also military matters. The opportunities for bleed-through military elements to appear in the oil and gas projects agreed between Russia and India are bad enough from the U.S. perspective. Rosneft's oil deliveries will be shipped through the Russian Black Sea port of Novorossiysk with offloading facilities in India to be built out when required. Putin highlighted, quote, both sides reaffirmed their commitment to increasing Russian crude oil production under long-term contracts at preferential prices and increasing LNG liquefied natural gas imports to India with the possible use of the northern sea route for energy supplies, unquote. And specifically, Modi added, quote, we have set a target of 30 billion U.S. dollars in trade and 50 billion U.S. dollars in investment by 2025, close quote. Continuing in the third paragraph here, as it now stands, a joint statement from Russia and India said, quote, we have reiterated their intention to strengthen defense cooperation, including in the joint development of production of military equipment, unquote. Specifically, according to further official statements from one or both sides, India will produce at least 600,000 Kalashnikov assault rifles, the weapon of choice for terrorists and militias across the Middle East and elsewhere, 
And even more disturbing for the United States, India's Foreign Secretary, Harsh Vardhan Seringla, said that 2018 contract for the S-400 air defense missile systems is now being implemented. And let me add to that, you recall recently in the last few months, Putin suspended a sale of that very same missile system to China and allowed the sale of that very same missile system to go through to India. <laughs> okay. All right. The last paragraph here, this is the whopper. This is, this is the cherry on the Sunday. United States fight back against China's aggressive expansion of influence in the Middle East was founded principally on the relationship normalization deals that have been made with the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Israel, and on India's role as a counterbalance to China in Asia and as a major global buyer of oil and gas, as analyzed in depth in my new book on the global oil markets. Now, if the United States was banking on India being the counterbalance to China, what do you think all these deals signify? Russia is using India not only as a counterbalance, but I'll show you something else that Russia's doing that we're not. Russia's giving India technology and economic deals that India can actually use to improve not only its internal uh economy, but also its position in the area vis-a-vis -vis China. And we're giving India essentially nothing. <laughs> okay. Now, the other thing here that's very interesting to bear in mind is that Russia is proving itself, and I'm going to use an expression that some of you who are familiar with the writings of the Saker will recognize. Russia is proving itself to be agreement-capable and it's proving itself to be agreement capable to one of the most important powers in the region, namely India. What are we doing? Well, we're abandoning Afghanistan and lots of equipment. So in other words, we cannot, we cannot continue to go down this geopolitical path. So Russia is acting, as, as I've been arguing for quite some time, as the real hidden fourth power in the Quad. This is not going to say that Russia is going to abandon China as an ally. It won't. But by the same token, it's not going to become unilaterally dependent or beholden to China. And this deal is the proof. So let's turn to the unrelated article here. Uh, this is an article that appeared in the New York Post by Jorge Fitzgibbon um, just yesterday, as a matter of fact about the recent release by the Brandonenko misadministration of President Kennedy assassination records, okay? And I, folks, when I read this, I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Are these people really this desperate and this transparent? And I hate to tell you, folks, yeah, I really do think, now, crazy as it sounds, that this recent declassification by uh, Brandon Enko of Kennedy assassination records literally is a kind of desperation move to get everybody all fired up and angry about Russia. After all, Russia's upped troops on the Ukrainian border to now over 200,000, and we could go to war at any minute, you know. So here we go. 
This is the New York Post article. The title of the article reads, Oswald met KGB before JFK assassination delayed records dump shows. Oh, how convenient. <laughs> but wait, folks. <laughs> the, yeah, anything, Mike Brady in the chat room says, anything to distract from the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. <laughs> ah, anyway. <laughs> but, but wait, folks, you, you can't make this stuff up. And I'm, I'm putting this article with the Putin article also, folks, just to give you a comparison and contrast of the behavior. You can like Putin or hate him. I don't care. But I'm putting it up as a contrast between a real leader and statesman. You may disagree with his policies. You may hate his methods. But he's at least getting things done. And this carnival circus <laughs> that we've got going on in the USSA. But anyway, so here's the article. And I'm going to read you from this and, and stop because I read this and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. All right, here we go. Quote, Lee Harvey Oswald met with a KGB agent just two months before the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, according to newly unsealed confidential documents stemming from JFK's murder. That's it, folks. Let's press the button and go to war with Russia. By golly, Lee Harvey Oswald <laughs> met with a KGB agent. There it is. All right. But let's continue. The CIA memos, CIA Hmm. <laughs> They've never lied before. <laughs> the CIA memos, part of a trove of nearly 1,500 documents released Wednesday by the National Archives and Records Administration, also disclose that an anonymous tipster warned U.S. embassy officials in Australia a year earlier that Kennedy would be assassinated by the Soviet Union for a $100,000 bounty. Let's stop again there. So part of this is coming from an anonymous trip tipster who apparently phoned uh, some official in Australia who in turn let the United States know that the, the Russians <laughs> were going to assassinate the president. Here's my problem. As you know, intelligence agencies create false flags all the time. And an anonymous tipster saying that, oh, the Russians are behind or going to be behind the assassination of your president uh, seems to me to be a little bit too much of an obvious setup, especially since President Kennedy pulled the rug out under the Bay of Pigs and the CIA. Uh, very early on in his his administration, and given the fact that at the time of the assassination, Kennedy was trying to negotiate with Khrushchev to uh, launch a joint Soviet-American moon mission. So, anonymous tipsters, you got to do better, CIA. <laughs> okay? So, in the attempt to do better, <laughs> let's go down the article a bit. And here comes the main the main thrust of the article. And folks, if any of you are familiar with the 
Kennedy assassination. I want you to listen to this part of the article very closely because you're going to laugh out loud. Quote, according to an intercepted phone call in Mexico City, Lee Oswald was in the Soviet embassy there on the 23rd of September and spoke with Consul Valery Vladimirovich, the document said. So stop. Right now we're talking about all of that evidence presented and publicly known ever since the Warren Commission of that picture of a guy who looks like he's a football player who is supposedly Lee Harvey Oswald that was taken outside the Russian embassy and the Cuban embassy in Mexico City, looks absolutely nothing like Lee Harvey Oswald, and all of a sudden now this is the phone call that we're talking about when we have on the record more than one Lee Oswald at this point. That's the key here. So continuing, quote, Oswald called the Soviet embassy on the 1st of October identifying himself by name and speaking broken Russian. Stop. Stop the press. <laughs> Let's go back to the Warren Commission. Most witnesses who testified about Lee Harvey Oswald speaking Russian indicate that he spoke it rather well. In fact, he spoke it well enough that his own wife, Marie, or Marina, who was Russian, thought that he was a native Russian. <laughs> okay. So there's a little problem here. Let's continue. Identifying himself by name and speaking broken Russian, stating the above and asking the guard who answered the phone whether there was anything concerning the telegram to Washington, read the memo from then acting CIA chief Tenet Bagley. The documents include a transcript of the October 1st call. This is, this is all the hysteria of these recent document releases, folks. Quote, hello, this is Lee Oswald speaking. How do we know that? We don't. Is there more one Oswald in play at this point? Yes. Quote, I was at your place <laughs> last Saturday and spoke to a consul, and they said they sent a telegram to Washington, so I wanted to find out if you knew anything new but I don't remember the name of the consul, unquote. After a brief exchange, KGB officer, that should be flashing in neon lights here, folks. KGB officer, Valery Kostikov answered, just a minute, I'll find out. They say they haven't received anything yet. Have they done anything, Oswald asked. Yes, they say that a request has been sent out, but nothing has been received yet. Kostikov answers before hanging up. Bagley's memo about the call was dated November 23rd, 1963, one day after Oswald was charged with assassinating Kennedy. Two days after the assassination, the record said another tipster called the U.S. Naval Attaché in Australia, identifying, uh, identifying himself as a Polish driver for the U.S. Embassy in Canberra. It's unclear from the records if it was the same tipster from a year earlier, but the caller reiterated that the Soviets were behind the assassination. Quote, 
This individual, while discussing several matters of intelligence interest, touched on the possibility that the Soviet government had financed the assassination of President Kennedy, a May 22, 1964 memo stated. And there you have it, folks. Conveniently, <laughs> purely by coincidence, as geopolitical tensions are ratcheting up and Brandon Nenko is threatening all sorts of dire sanctions <laughs> if, if one Russian boot is put on Ukrainian soil, um, we now have the release that um, apparently we had possible Soviet involvement in the, in the assassination of President Kennedy, and yet, here's the important point, every single thing refers to something already either known in the record, this telephone call transcript uh, by a Lee Harvey Oswald at the time that there was a an impersonator of Lee Oswald making trips to the embassy. That's called sheep dipping, folks, in the intelligence trade. That's called making setting someone up to be a patsy by making them look guilty of having certain associations or having done certain things. And as far as Australia is concerned, all of this is from anonymous callers. But to me, the timing here is interesting. I do think these people are so desperate that they would go back and try and dust off yet more non-information from the archives and pin the blame on the Soviet Union. Um, ask yourself why the Soviet Union would want to get rid of Kennedy or any elements within it. I'm not saying that there aren't any elements within it that might want to do that. And I'm not even saying that they may not have been, been involved in the assassination. After all, everybody else appears to have been. But here's the problem. There is nothing here by way of credible or good evidence. And that's the problem. This looks to me like it's a cheap trick to buttress the current propaganda that, you know, it's those Russians and their evil Byzantine leader, Vladimir Putin, that are behind everything, leaving out of the picture our own sorry record in covert uh, operations and activities in the Ukraine. So anyway, um, I'm just I'm just kind of left breathless here, folks, at, at the... <laughs> At the galloping chutzpah, I, I hate to put it in any other way, at the galloping chutzpah of this document's release, even if it's unrelated to the ge geopolitical situation going on now, the fact that this, this release of documents would be so ballyhooed in the lamestream propertainment media and then contain such drivel in terms of actual content is just amazing to me. Um, it's, you know, this, the corruption in this country is just over the top. Um, we all know that. So anyway, um, yeah, no one's blamed Israel yet. Remember the Liberty. Actually, people have been blaming Israel, you know, for that and everything else. But anyway, uh, that's it for today's news and views, folks. Um, I remain, I remain shocked. <laughs> anyway, uh, a cult fan says he loves the hat. 
Thank you. Yeah. Oh, by the way, yes. I forgot to mention Robert F. Kennedy's response to this document's release. Quote, it's an outrage. <laughs> Unquote. JFK's nephew, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., <laughs> fumed to Politico in October. Quote, it's an outrage against American democracy. We're not supposed to have secret governments within the government. Unquote. Well, bad news, we do. Or to put it rather more differently and bluntly, we do not have a government that represents us. We have a government that lords it over us and represents themselves. But anyway, it was Kaiser Wilhelm <laughs> reaching out from the grave. <laughs> but, but anyway... Look, I, I don't put it past these people. Yeah, they'll, they'll, it's all it's a law, all a plot of the Kaiser. Anyway, that's it for today's news and views, folks. Don't forget, get your submissions in by 10 o'clock tonight, not 10.01, not 10 o'clock and one second, but 10 o'clock. Uh, this will be the last news and views of the year, and the vid chat tomorrow is at 6.30 U.S. Central Time. In all likelihood, I'm going to be starting that vid chat early. So anyway, enjoy, folks, and I want to wish everybody, Daniel and I at the website, want to wish everybody a very, very merry and blessed Christmas, and we'll see you next year. Bye-bye, folks. <laughs>